It's time to come to this morning's Bible reading, which comes from the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. And I'll be reading Ephesians chapter 4, verses 28 to 32. So Ephesians chapter 4, verses 28 to 32. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Morning everyone. I want to bring you some announcements before I pray again and we look at this issue of the Holy Spirit and conclude our series on looking at him. A couple of quick announcements. A reminder, these are in the bulletin of both the Care Outreach program which ends at the end of this month of bringing in uh, goods or money, giving it to John Morley so that he can put together a package to take to people who are in need in the uh, western part of our state. Operation Christmas Child is what uh, Jenny Benstead, I think, got up and undid a a shoebox and had all sorts of goodies in it. The list is in your bulletin. uh, And she's encouraging us to bring things in. Slow down. To bring things in so that um, we can put those together. October 24th is a deadline. And they'll go to uh, children at Christmas time, often in overseas countries and in need for them. Now... Just for your awareness, and for sometimes you might turn up to the earlier service, on the first Sunday in November, our 8.45 service is moving to 15 minutes earlier to 8.30. So it'll be an 8.30 service, 10.30 service, and a 6.30 service. We're not doing it so it rhymes or times match. We're doing it because the 8.45 service at the moment is the, only, is the service that has the most pressure in it in terms of time because we run up to 10 o'clock pretty quickly. And so moving it back, 15 minutes, will just create a little bit of a buffer zone. The service, in theory, will go for the same amount of time. It'll just finish a little bit earlier. It'll create a bit, slightly bigger time gap between the services to enable sharing and community and that sort of thing. <coughs> but it's also designed so that uh, often you get, it happened this morning, you get to 10 o'clock and you have to stop and you run out of time to finish what you're preaching. And that'll happen for David, it happens to me. And that gives us just that 15 minutes buffer that we may go into it a bit longer. Okay? So that's what it's about, just for you to be aware of that. First Sunday November is going to be a time of change because it's when the Mandarin Cantonese services are going to be launched and it's when we're going to move our service time. Okay, and two more. There's a whole page in the bulletin about this. It's a Thai night for a, a couple, young couple who are returning to Thailand, the Pearsans, and on this night they're having a particular Thai food, games and information gatherings. As I said, the whole thing, you need to buy a ticket ahead of time costs $7 for most people, $5 for kids. There's probably a special package for families. It should be a fun night. Details are in the bulletin, October 29th, I think it's 6 o'clock. Encourage you to come along, support them and see what God's going to be doing through their lives. And 
This is something new. Where's David? Would he like? No, he's not even listening to me. Um, we have life groups. And in the bulletin, there is a sample of this, both an explanation sheet, but also a Connect card. <clears throat> that will explain to you what these are, that uh, alongside of our life groups, that when we start a new series, and we're starting a new series next week, and that series is going to be on the book of 2 Timothy in the morning service, and it's going to go for mm, weeks. It's either six or seven, I can't remember. Um, And so for that length of time, we're inviting people who are not in life groups to join a connect group. And to do that, you need to take out that little card, this little one here, and just fill in the details on the back and say, yep, I want to be in a connect group, uh, wherever it is. You might want to be the host of a connect group. In other words, you'll have it at your place. As the other shed explains, there's about four to six people per connect group. Uh, And there is resources on the web, both questions for the Bible study passage that you'll be looking at, as well as daily devotionals if you want to tap into that. Okay? So the idea is you come, you listen to the, uh, the teaching of God's word through the pulpit, through David and me, and then you connect up the following week on a particular day or on time and nights that you indicate on here, and then for that seven weeks you discuss this, At the end of the seven weeks your commitment's over, the group disbands. So you give your name details to David, he will put you in groups, he will deliberately structure the group so that there is a mixture of ages, people, cultures so that we're connecting across, not just meeting with our friends. Okay? So I'm excited about it. I think it's a great has great possibilities for us and we're hoping that out of this uh, other groups will start up. Life groups likewise, you can do exactly the same thing. You can continue as a life group, you can access the material and do exactly the same thing except you're in a slightly different process. Make sense? If you have any questions, you can speak to David who's down the back this morning or you can fill in the card and give it to him. Okay? Get it? Excellent. I think that's it. Having said that, there's something else I should be telling you and I can't remember what it is. I'm sure... Oh, whatever. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we have the opportunity to be able to come together and to enjoy both fellowship and worship and teaching together. And we ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit indeed might speak to us. Um, It's great, Lord, to hear how you have been at work uh, in Michelle's life, in Jess's life, um, in our lives. And so, Lord, we just want to be closer to you, in tune with you, and more effective for you and with you. So to that end, Lord, take this time and use it to grow us and to extend the kingdom and to bring honour to Jesus. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. We've been talking about the person of the Holy Spirit, so this morning I want to um, summarise some of that and to conclude by looking at a very important issue for us which is referred to in this passage. Verse 30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Who is the Spirit? Well, to remind you of the things that you have either been taught or that you already know. He is a member of the Trinity. He is not like God. He is not almost God. He's not similar to God. He is God, fully God. Everything you can say about God, you can say about the Spirit. Therefore, he is to be honoured as God and he is to be obeyed. Because he is God and he indwells us as we follow the Lord Jesus, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, you possess the Spirit, 
then our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. He, the divine royal guest, dwells within in his earthly palace, if you like. He is not only divine, he is a person. He's not just a power, he's not just an impersonal force, he's not an influence, he's not an it. He is a he, he's not male, he is a person. And therefore, as a person, he has intellect, emotions and a will. He is exactly like the Father and the Son in terms of personality. They are like each other. They are distinct and all fully God. And yet there is only one God, this mystery of the triune being. What does he do, the Spirit of God? Well, the Bible tells us that he is co-creator, that he creates along with the Father and the Son. He created the world, Genesis 1 verse 2. He created humankind in his image, in their image, Genesis 1.26. He's the creator of the body of the Lord Jesus. He's the one who created the body in the womb of the Virgin Mary. He is the one who creates us with a new nature in Christ. We are born of the Spirit. He is the one who builds the church, Ephesians chapter 2. He's the one who inspired the scriptures. In the Old Testament, he works through rulers and kings, judges and prophets, He's even involved in very practical ways. He's the one who uh, equipped, empowered um, craftsmen, builders, to build the tabernacle and to build the temple, gifted by the Spirit. He comes on, he moves on, he and he fills. He was certainly active in lives of people around the birth of the Lord Jesus, Zachariah, Elizabeth, Joseph and Mary, and John the Baptist, who was preparing the way. He was very active in the person and ministry of the Lord Jesus. He is essential to us as we follow Jesus. He is the one who convicts us of sin. He is the one who enlightens us or illumines us with truth in the midst of this dark world. He is the one who calls people to faith, who converts people. He is the one who baptises us into the body of Christ. He transforms believers into the image of the Lord Jesus. He reigns within. He fills us. He walks with us through each day's events and experiences. That includes helping us to pray, helping us to read our Bible, provides peace in our spirit and our hearts and he also prompts us to be doing God's will. We'll talk more about that in a moment. He manifests the character of Jesus to us and in us. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. He equips us for service, gives us gifts and he is the one who empowers us for witness in the world. You look at it negatively, we can't be saved without the Holy Spirit. We can't be uh, have assurance without the Holy Spirit. We can't be holy without the Holy Spirit. We don't understand the Bible without the Spirit. We can't pray without the Spirit. We can't serve without the Spirit. We can't even witness without the Spirit. He is essential to us as disciples of the Lord Jesus. He enters us permanently. Post the incarnation of the Lord Jesus. Jesus coming, his death and resurrection, his ascension to heaven. And he sent the Spirit at Pentecost to indwell us permanently. He powerfully equips us, he encourages us. He's not a second blessing, he's not an optional extra, he is essential as we seek to be fully obedient to the Lord Jesus. Now, anytime we teach about or talk about the Spirit of God, his person and his work, any teaching is going to be incomplete unless there is at least some time also devoted to or an awareness of, uh, it's quite possible that as essential as the Spirit is to us for our life and walk as believers, that we can hinder him, that we can lose spiritual power. We can 
grieve him, sin against him. We can resist him. In the Old Testament, God could come and go. The story of Samson is this remarkable story of a guy who was very gifted, very talented, uh, and we're going to do Judges at night, who had great opportunities, but his life became a tragedy because of his own foolishness. He made wrong choices, got off track, and was disobedient. And the Bible talks about how the Spirit of God would come upon him and empower him with strength physically to achieve great things, to deliver God's people. The Bible also says on three occasions that Samson did not know that the Spirit of the Lord had left him. He was spiritually numb. He was insensitive. He was not aware the Spirit of God had left him. Same is said of Saul, King Saul. David prays in Psalm 51, Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. This is Old Testament experience. It's not New Testament experience anymore. With the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost, he comes and indwells permanently. Does that mean that God does not depart from his people? Well, no, he doesn't. But he seems to. He can seem to be absent. And you may have had that experience. Uh, Does God withdraw a sense of his presence? Yes, I just said so. Can we lose the spirit or the power of the spirit in our lives and in our ministries? Yes, we can. How? Well, through these things we're going to talk about this morning, through sins and through hindering him. If we have done that, if we have grieved, offended, if we have sinned against the Spirit, can we regain what we lost? My answer to that is usually. Always? Well, sometimes no. But usually. Normally. But there are exceptions. And those exceptions tend to be in the controversial passages. That's where I would put Hebrews 6. But there would be some other samples. You might very well know samples of either your own life or through history of people who are greatly used by God at one point, but then who, for whatever reasons, have now they're on the shelf. They have been laid aside. They are no longer used significantly and they profess faith still, but God appears to be absent from their life. They have lost something. And maybe some of the truths of this morning will help us to understand some of that. What does the Bible say about these hindrances to the Spirit? Well, there are six sins, and we're only dealing with one and maybe an overlap with two this morning. The Bible talks about blaspheming the Spirit. We're going to talk about that tonight. In fact, that's called the unforgivable sin. You can be forgiven for every sin except for the one where you blaspheme the Holy Spirit. That's a controversial and difficult thing to understand but see how we go tonight unbelievers can bless in the spirit Christians can't uh, resisting the Holy Spirit Acts chapter 7 verse 51 is what Stephen says of the people of Israel they always resist God's spirit unbelievers again this passage Ephesians 4 says you can grieve the spirit 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 19 says that you can quench the spirit that one grieving and quenching are primarily the sins that we as followers of the Lord Jesus are guilty of. And we are instructed, obviously, not to do either. Don't grieve, don't quench. Um, Hebrews chapter 10, again, I think talking about unbelievers, talks about how you can insult the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Greek word is a very strong word. It could be translated to outrage, anger. Don't insult or outrage the Holy Spirit, Hebrews 10, 29. And then there was that strange story in Acts chapter 5 of Ananias and Sapphira. And Peter says, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. A specific illustration, I think, of grieving the Spirit, sinning against him. 
So this morning I want to look at just primarily this one aspect, which is grieving the Spirit. How do we grieve the Spirit? And I want to present to you three ways. What happens to us when we do grieve the Spirit? What are the results, the consequences? And what can we do if we've done that? And what can we do to not do it? How can we live our lives in such a way that we don't grieve the Spirit? So that's where we're going. All right? So, just to be very clear, we need to have this in the forefront of our minds that as followers of the Lord Jesus, if we have accepted Jesus as gift of salvation, if we confess he is Lord, if we believe he died and he rose again from the dead, if we're disciples of his, then his spirit indwells us. Romans 8 verse 9 says, If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, you have his spirit indwelling you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, in fact, says that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. He lives within. Um, He is God within. And he is a gift. We've been bought with a price. Therefore, Paul says, glorify God in your body. Um, So this is the truth that we have to hold before us. God's spirit is within us. He is with us. He is indwelling us. And that this divine person can be grieved This is a theological controversy that for 19 centuries theologians have said certain things about God that is impassable, that he is unmoved, that he is not subject to emotional uh, passions or fits and moods or anything like that. And I think there is a growing understanding that when the Bible talks about God being loving, God being angry, God being grieved, uh, that we are not to understand that God is some sort of immobile, indifferent totally unemotional being but rather he is personable and that he does feel but he feels with absolute perfection so the Holy Spirit can be grieved passage says don't grieve the Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption it's a word which is talking about grief about our relationship with another in which we can hurt the other as incredible as that is The sovereign God, the spirit of God indwells us and he in all of his almightiness can be hurt, offended, hindered by our choices. It's talking about a, and the word's overused, but there's no, I don't have any other way to talk about it. It's about a love relationship that we have. It's about intimacy. Following Jesus, being a Christian, is not about rules and regulations. It's not about religion and ritual. It's about a relationship. It's a relationship with a person, person of Jesus, Father and Spirit. It's a personal, close, intimate. It's based upon grace. So that when we sin, when we do something wrong or whatever, if we think only in terms of I have done something wrong, that's inadequate. It is that, but it is far more I have not only done something wrong, I have hurt someone who loves me, someone who lives in me. I have offended, disappointed, grieved, and that there is something not right in the relationship that I need to put right. We need to think of sin in those relational terms, as Paul does here in this passage. Don't grieve the spirit. Well, how do you grieve the spirit? Well, the context, all the way from Ephesians 4, 
from verse 17 all the way down to about chapter 5, verse 20, that large chunk of scripture of which we just read the central paragraph, is all about our moral choices, about our outward behaviour, about the decisions we make as followers of the Lord Jesus. It's not to do the negative and it's to do the positive, to put off and to put on, to walk in the light, to be holy. All of those concepts are in this passage. So how do we grieve the spirit? Well, three ways. Most obvious way, when we sin. When we sin like it outlines for us in this whole passage in verse 25. Uh, Therefore, each of you put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour. If you get angry, don't sin in your anger. Verse 28, stop stealing. Uh, Verse 29 is back on unwholesome talk. Um, Verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage and and so on. Our sins, whenever we sin, whenever we depart from God's perfect will and direction for us, we grieve the spirit, as I've indicated. He personally is hurt, disappointed. And our sin, as outlined in this passage, push the pause button. Let's do a temperature check. Who's cold? (laughs) Who's hot? Who's just right? It's all subjective, isn't it? While we're on this, um, did he turn that up or off? Whatever. (laughs) One of the things, this is not the sermon, this is still on my sidetrack. One of the things that will happen in the providence of God is that the Mandarin service will start in the conference room and the Cantonese service will then be in the auditorium. And one day, someday in the future, I believe, when they fill that, they're going to have to move out of the conference room and so they will come here. That's the next logical step. When they come here... I think that's probably a time. There could be another time, a bit earlier than that, but that's probably a good time for them to, for the Cantonese likewise to come here. So both Chinese services will be here, which will mean we will go from here to there. So after the summer, we will go there. Or maybe not after the summer. We'll wait and see. The only reason we're going to move is for the growth of the kingdom. It'll be better for them and it'll be better for us. But put that in the back of your minds. Don't grieve the spirit by being distracted. (laughs) Number one, we grieve the spirit by sin. And you know as well as I do that sin is in our actions. We do things that are wrong. Cross the line. We say things that are wrong. But it's not just our deeds and it's not just our words. Because the spirit of God is within us, It also goes to our thoughts. Because it is possible, isn't it, brothers and sisters, that we can not do something wrong, not say something wrong, but be thinking something wrong. We have very creative and strong imaginations and we can place in our minds imaginary situations where you're having a conversation, you're imagining a scene or scenario, and you're not only imagining it, but you're enjoying it. And you always win. If you're having an argument with somebody, you always win. At least I always win. I guess we always win. Nobody's as smart as us in our own brains, are they? But the Spirit of God who's within us knows that. And we can grieve him by our thoughts. So by our actions, by our words, and even by our thoughts. Uh, uh, Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17 says, The Spirit of God within us um, wrestles against, fights against the flesh 
and the flesh fights against the spirit who is within us. These two are opposed to each other and therefore we end up with this conflict and we sometimes choose or do the things that we don't want to do. Galatians 5, 16 and 17. It's interesting. The flesh fights against the spirit. Our sinful nature fights against the influence of the spirit within us and the spirit is in conflict and seeking to fight against our sinful choices and nature. That's the first way. It's like pulling weeds out of the garden, as I said in this morning's service. Uh, I'm not a gardener, but every now and again I see the size of the weeds in my garden. I think, gee, I need to pull them out. And you go along and you pull out the really big weeds. They're the ones that get your attention. They're the ones you notice. You, you don't have to do anything to grow weeds, but we have mastered it. We're really good at growing weeds. So you pull the big ones out. When you pull the big ones out, guess what happens then? Hmm? you notice smaller ones that you didn't notice before. But now that you've pulled the big ones out, then you notice these other medium-sized ones. When you pull them out, then you'll even notice the very slender green shoots coming up, the baby weeds that are on their way to extinction. And then you pull them out. Well, that's a bit like how the Spirit of God works in us. The big major things, our actions and our words, they get dealt with, usually pretty quickly. Then he works on the medium ones and then he will always also work on the minor ones, the ones that are internal, the ones that are very subtle. He is this ongoing process of working in us, transforming us to be conformed to the image of Jesus. He is working in us to transform us into passionate followers of the Lord Jesus. So how do we grieve the Spirit? Primarily, well, firstly, by sin. Secondly, another way. It's not the only way that we do it. Another way that we can grieve the Spirit is by neglecting or failing to realise he is present in us. Failure to realise or to acknowledge, to recognise his presence within us and therefore a failure to honour him as we ought. It's insulting to be ignored or to be overlooked, certainly on the human level. To simply ignore that you've got a guest and to behave as if the guest wasn't present is insulting offensive. So too within us we have a very gracious, willing guest, a great person, the Lord Jesus' spirit, the spirit of God, royalty, divinity, a great privilege. If a person of high rank, of great status was to visit us, someone we greatly respected, whoever that is for you, um, if they were to visit you, you would be very careful how you behaved and you would be very conscious about the choices or the speech, what you said, what you did, the way you behaved, your attitudes, you would be, it would be raised up a level because you would be conscious of the guest. So too we can grieve the Spirit of God when we ignore him, when we live as if he's not with us. We think we're on our own. We think we're getting away with it. But he sees, hears and knows all. And I think we grieve him when we fail to realise his presence within. Associated with that, third way, we grieve him by anything that is not holy, by sin, by failure to acknowledge his presence and behave accordingly. And thirdly, by failure to respond to his promptings, his nudges. The Spirit of God is in conflict against our sinful nature. The Spirit of God will be leading us, guiding us, directing us, asking us to stop something, to leave something, to go somewhere, to do something, to respond. The Spirit of God is working 
within us. He's working out what Jesus has purchased for us. Jesus, by his death and resurrection, has purchased salvation. The Spirit of God is applying salvation to our lives and is working in us sanctification, making us more like Jesus. He works in that we might will and do of his good pleasure, Philippians 2.13. So he prompts, he leads, he creates desires within. You would have had this experience where you'll be in some other context and suddenly you'll have a desire or a prompting, I need to pray. I want to read my Bible. I need to talk to this person. Promptings like Michelle spoke about. We all have them. If the Spirit of God is in us um, and we're following Jesus, that's what he will be doing. It's all part of his great work within us. To not respond to those promptings, to those whispers, to fail to comply to his leading, what he wants, to postpone it or to flat out disobey it is offensive. Grieves him. And it's a third way that we can grieve the Spirit. Grieve him by our sin, grieve him by failure to acknowledge presence, by not responding to his promptings within. What happens when we do any of those things? What are the consequences to grieving the Spirit? Well, he doesn't leave us because he permanently indwells us. He is the seal of our salvation. The seal is not broken and then refixed or taken off and then reattached. We can't lose our salvation. It's a, a seal, an indication, a foretaste of the salvation that God has purchased for us. He is permanently with us. Well, at least until the day of redemption or for the day of redemption. But you can lose the sense of his presence. He is there, but he is silent. He's been offended. He has withdrawn the sense of his presence. There's a decreasing sense, therefore, of his activity or awareness or experience of his activity. You no longer feel as close to God. You may no longer have the promptings that God loves you. You may, in fact, have a loss of a sense of assurance because these are all the work of the Spirit. His spirit witnesses with our spirit that we are children of God. If we offend him, that voice, that inner witness is decreased. It hasn't gone, it's just gone softer. It fades. It will continue to fade until we respond. And in fact, the spirit working within us, when we grieve him, he decreases, if you like, his conflict against the flesh. So the flesh takes on a supremacy. And we become more subject to our sinful nature. And what he is doing is giving us over for the purposes of discipline and for spiritual attack. We find ourselves in a mess. We find ourselves doing things and enjoying things that we ought not. We don't understand ourselves. And then he will convict us. He will drive us to our knees. He will bring us to repentance. He will reintroduce us to the Lord Jesus, our Saviour who died for us so that we wouldn't do these sorts of things. He will reveal to us the Saviour who loves us, who wants to wash us from all sin. And if we repent, return, then once again he will smile upon us, he will fill us, he will draw very near, he will prompt, remind us, prompt us, you're loved by God, you're a child of mine, that's for you. All of those sorts of things the Spirit will do within us. David Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, for if you do, you will bring upon yourself grievous experiences and agonies of soul. Grievous experiences and agonies of soul. 
that you need never have had. Don't grieve the spirit. Don't intentionally, deliberately do something, say something, think what ought not to be done. You'll grieve him. Don't fail to acknowledge his presence in your life. Don't fail to respond to what he is prompting or communicating or nudging you to do. Be obedient. If you grieve him, there are those consequences. So what can we do? What do we need to do to guard against grieving the spirit? Well, number one. There's a quick list of these and then I'm done. Number, Wake up in the morning and deliberately remind yourself, realise, acknowledge that he is within you, that I am a child of God, he lives with me. And for me, I wake up every morning and usually, I can't say every morning, but it's pretty close, the Spirit of God nudges me and I say, good morning, Lord. He's the first person I greet every morning, even before Rhonda. She's usually asleep when I wake up. Anyway, now there are some exceptions to that. And it'd be interesting to reflect, when are those times when I wake up and I don't say, good morning, Lord? It's going to be one of those times when I have done something, said something, thought something that I shouldn't have done and the Spirit of God is just not prompting me the next morning. There's that difference. But like I said, usually um, I wake up and greet the Lord and talk to Him. Uh, when you wake up in the morning, consciously deliberate, take some time and make this choice every day. I did this morning and I intend to in future mornings. Lord, wherever I go today, whatever's on my agenda and my timetable, wherever I go, Whatever I may do or whatever I have to do today or whatever happens to me, wherever I go, what I do or whatever happens to me, you're with me. Help me to live my life in all of those situations, conscious that you're hearing, you're watching and you know what's going on. My every word, my every thought, my every deed in his presence. It's a great privilege. He's a marvellous guest. He's the most important person on the planet, the Spirit of God. And he's my guest. He's your guest. He's in you. Don't grieve him. Don't disappoint him. Walk very tenderly with him. He is given to us to work out our salvation. So when he prompts you, Lord, I'll obey. Whatever it is you want me to do today, I'll do it. When he prepares me or wants to shape me a little bit more, knock off parts of my character that are not quite right, then I will comply. I'll respond to his nudges and preparations. And he may very well want to work through me or through you this day. So, Lord, I'm available. I will obey. I will comply. I am available to serve or to share. We need to walk very softly, very carefully with the Spirit, listening constantly to what he wants to whisper or prompt us to do. And he will always, 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 always lead us to the scriptures and be in conformity to the scriptures and he will always be pointing us towards the Lord Jesus he will glorify him it's therefore helpful or perhaps a helpful exercise to take some time to get alone with the Lord and to ask him Lord is there anything in my life that's not right with you conduct maybe at the end of the day you know you should keep short accounts with the Lord throughout the day but it's also maybe a good safety net at the end of the day uh, just to run through your day in his presence. So, Lord, is there anything I have said today which wasn't right that I've got to confess, that I've got to put right? Is there anything I've done? Is there anything I have thought? 
Is there any promptings that you gave me that I haven't followed up on? Is there something about my attitude or my relationships which is not right? Run this sort of inventory through. Daily evaluation. End of the day before you go to sleep at night. Go to sleep close to him, in his presence, not grieving him. It's an old hymn and I'm going to close with it this morning. Uh, it's a, The words of this hymn ought to be, well they are my desire and I hope they're yours as well. The words are these and then I'm going to pray. The words go, oh, give me Samuel's ear. You know Samuel in the temple? Samuel, Samuel, he said eventually, speak Lord, your servant's hearing. Oh, give me Samuel's ear, an open ear, O Lord, alive and quick to hear each whisper of your word, like him to answer to your call and to obey you first of all. Oh, give me Samuel's ear, an open ear, O Lord, alive and quick to hear each whisper of your word, and like him to answer to your call and to obey you first of all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the wonderful plan of salvation. Lord Jesus, bless you for all that you did in your incarnation, your death, your resurrection, your ascension and your impartation of the Spirit. And Lord Holy Spirit, we pray that you might reign in us. Fill us with a passion for Jesus. Keep us obedient to your word and help us to be gentle, responsive to your rulership within. Forgive us when we grieve you, when we get it wrong. Lord, fill us and help us to be like Samuel, responsive, obedient, pleasing. May your will be done in us so that we can be like Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.